Who says tech can't be human? cut off their access? Do you eliminate all their accounts? Do you break their accounts? Do you change their password on? What's your plan? You need one. If you don't have one, you're going to have to make it on the fly. And that's when mistakes actually happen. Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. Hey, everyone. It's me, Simone Biles. As a world champion gymnast and a former foster kid, I've faced my fair share of complexity, and I've learned that the concept of controlling complexity is about more than just overcoming our own hardships. It's about helping others overcome theirs too. After all, in the face of enormous complexity, the best not only find a way to adapt to the challenge, they also find a way to give back. From now until the end of the year, Axonius will make a donation to Friends of the Children for every demo completed. For more details and to sign up, go to axonius.com slash friends. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash friends. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. In the studio today, we have with us a special guest. A guest so special that we've been actually trying to get this person on our podcast for a while. And the day is finally here. Our guest this episode is Richard Rushing. Richard is the Chief Information Security Officer at Motorola Mobility. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome. And I'm just as excited to be on the podcast because this has been the finding the days and the cosmic yeah. alignment or as I like the quantum entanglement that is going to occur on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Things happen when and where they should. Super excited to have you on the show. First, I have to ask you a little bit about your ascension, because when you look at a company like Motorola, very big company, has been around for a long time. And a lot of times it's harder for older companies to adapt new technology. But luckily, Motorola is a technology company. So I'm sure you all have it in spades. Tell us about your ascension into the leadership roles that you've been in for cybersecurity. The ascension's really interesting on this because I started super early, and that's a whole nother podcast of an origin story on that. But I started cybersecurity back in the early 80s, which there wasn't called cybersecurity. It wasn't really called information security. It was just called computer security on that side of it that was there. So I started at a young age and I was passionate about technology and everything else. And I had started working in those areas. And again, like anything else, I just gravitated to tech. I enjoyed it. It was a passion of mine on that. And getting paid for something that you're excited about, hey, that was part of everything that's there. But I came in it from like everybody else. There wasn't security departments when you came in. You worked on either programming applications or doing networking. And that was the area that I focused on in a lot of cases because one of the few people that knew a lot about networking in the early 80s and everything else because there wasn't much of it on that. You were really dating yourself with the technologies. And yeah, you had whopping ArcNet and speeds of like 1.5 megabits to computer to desktop. So you ended up with the technologies. And then Security was just an after effect. Always been interested in security, always read and did 
all sorts of things in security and then figured out that you're the only person that knows about this stuff. So, hey, you can take ownership of that. So I've worked for a lot of large companies, GE, Capital, Siemens as well, and worked in the side of it and just in the place was doing networking and then gravitated into doing security and becoming security and on the leadership side of that. So my ascension was slightly strange because as I've worked for very large companies, I've also founded and worked with a lot of startups that are around there. And I came over to Motorola through a startup acquisition that was there. They acquired my wireless security company called Air Defense back around finalized in around 2008. And that's when just before that came into the Motorola spectrum. And that was the area. And again, we talked about quantum entanglement and things around that right place, right time. And that's exactly what happened to me was that came in just as Motorola was trying to divest. And I knew the CISO for corporate Motorola really well. And he's glad you're here. Have a great opportunity for you. (laughs) Uh, And the opportunity was like, hey, we have this mobile security. So cell phones and set-top boxes, some silicone and a bunch of other things that were there. And we're going to spin the companies off. Is that something that interested you? And the interesting side that was there was As a young person in that security, kind of the offshoot of security was hacking cell phones and hacking set-top boxes. So this karma thing that comes around that says, hey, (laughs) as a young child, you were doing things around this. Guess what? We're going to put you on the opposite side of the equation and go, now you have to protect all the stuff that you were breaking back before then. So karma came into this and it's like, Sounds fun. Let's see what happens. And the rest is history. 15 years later and everything else, still here, still having fun and still doing what I do on that side of it as well. So it was kind of a a straight progression, not normally, but a lot of it was just right place, right time kind of scenarios that you happen to be there and everything else. And coming from the world of being early adopters in security, it was if you showed interest and you had the capabilities You just gravitated into that area because they were always needing people that were coming out of the other groups and organizations that were there. You weren't like today where I go out and hire a security person. I go steal someone from IT, the network team or anything else to come work for the teams that were actually there. So when you built your team, you typically built it from people that were already inside the company and organization. I could definitely relate to being in cybersecurity before it was called cybersecurity. And I remember telling people in cybersecurity and outside of cybersecurity that I worked in this industry. And they looked at me like I was crazy. It was a lot easier to tell people outside of the industry that I was a hacker. And it was a lot easier to tell people in the industry that I was doing something very specific, network analysis, network security analysis. But now everyone can really relate to the term cybersecurity and it's understood. And I would imagine it's the same for chief information security officer, even chief security officer. I know Back in 2002, you were a chief security officer, and it was probably hard to articulate the need to articulate what this thing really is. Tell us a little bit about that experience of being a chief security officer way back then. Yeah, it was definitely hard on that side of it, and it it meant a lot of different things on that side of it. So at CSO for Air Defense Company, which meant that basically, one, you're the public-facing persona for security. You did a lot of different things. It wasn't just look at 
your development, SDLC, look at the security infrastructure and everything else. There was a lot of other things that you had to talk, you had to evangelize, you had to come into this because a lot of this stuff is was brand new. People were moving around and trying to figure these things out and everybody struggled. And it was the same thing. I was in the 90s and 80s. It was truly amazing to see the growth that was there because the growth came from everybody. You think about it, it's like we look at business being critical email and functions. And I can tell you, just revert back to if you went back to 89, 90, your email was on the mainframe computer for the organization you worked for. You couldn't attach anything to it. You couldn't do anything. It was really basic. There was no Exchange, Microsoft Mail, Web Mail, or anything else. It was just text and some of the stuff. It was not the business critical need and the collaboration tool that it is today. So you just see how things in the tech has actually progressed. The internet was like, hey, we got a firewall. What's a firewall? And what do we do? Oh, crap, we got to put rules in and everything else. These are the areas that, no, you had to either be trained, understand it, certified on firewall software to be able to learn it, or you hired somebody to come in and make those changes for you. And they were very different and different sides of it that were there. But I think, like you said, I think the ascension and what the roles were was kind of at the basic level was how do I take, it goes back to your initial question, how do I take cybersecurity things and translate that into English terms? And to your question, yeah, it was easier to tell people that you were a hacker because they got that versus, hey, I'm a cybersecurity expert and they're like well, what is that <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. and it's like it's like a hacker but a good guy oh okay i get that and that's the same thing is that we were coming from those areas where yeah chief information security officer even to this day you rattle that term off and yeah the people that are in the industry know it other people they're like okay that's there so do you work as a security guard or something <laughs> else and you're right. like yeah this is a long conversation but those are things that are there that it's still to this day you're the heart of this is you're taking super complicated ideas processes and technologies and you're trying to simplify them for your users trying to simplify the information that's being collected and rolled up to your executives so that you can do it. Simplifying this information to your customers. It's like, oh yeah, if I have to change, it's like, oh, I need to reset a password or provide CAPTCHA or provide multi-factor authentication to my customer base at the same time. That's a huge initiative in things. I see some of the initiatives too that every now and then pop in of things very similar to like when Google said that we're going to put the S in front of all HTTP things. Oh my gosh, stirred up a storm of things kind of thing to do. But at the same time, everybody's freaked out because they don't understand what the difference is between HTTP and what's secure and what's not secure. And do I need to do secure all the time? Or do I just do it for passwords? Those things were all those questions was there's multiple ways to do things. Which one's the right one? Depends. Depends on your customers, people, executives, what technology you're using. And so that's always that ever-changing thing. And I think you can, if you put the sprinkles or the cherry on top of that, you just go, the state of change from cybersecurity, from the bad and dark side, how much they're escalating of their capabilities 
compared to our side of how much we're changing our capabilities that are there. This is a race that doesn't have a winner yet, and I don't think it's going to ever slow down. It's just accelerating as it moves past this time and time again. And I think that's really the interesting point is that it doesn't get easier as you move along. It actually gets more complicated because if you can take any malware report on, take it TrickBot, QuakeBot, tons of these botnets, and you look at the reads on these highly technical documents. Now, convert that and explain that to your executive of how this impacted you or Mm -hmm. how it was capable of. And you start going, well, the C2 and the loader, the glazed (laughs) and nihilized. You already lost everybody at that point in time. And you can't visualize it very much easier. Your simplification is bad software, hack this, stole all the data, and it's gone. But simple sometimes is better because we try to sugarcoat or change the way things are in some cases instead of being realistic of computer compromised, data gone. What if it's, how do you know that it's gone? Because Mm -hmm. they broke into it. It's like me breaking into your house, walking around, not doing anything, and then going, leaving the door, and then leaving you a nice note. Sorry, I was here. Nothing to steal. Thank mm-hmm. you. Bad guys got to a computer for a reason and they suck everything off 100% of the time. They're not there to play games or look for something. They're there to steal information and they will steal information when they have the opportunity to. I love that you mentioned being an evangelist. Sometimes people call it being an advocate or really just being a communicator because when you look at the C-suite, The CISO is the newest kid to the party, trying to teach everyone about what is important about cybersecurity, having those conversations. And a lot of times we really have to speak in those business terms. What would you say are some of the tenants or some of the best practices you've seen when communicating some of these higher, more technical concepts to the rest of the C-suite so that they understand it and see how it applies to their business unit? So I think I love the way you use tenants because I operate on those a lot of times to the point where I think I annoy more people than I do because (laughs) part of my tenants are there's always two things, more people (laughs) and more budget. And those are always two tenants that you always need to have in your back pocket of how can we help? I need more people and more budget. If I was able to have more people, I could respond faster. If I was able to have more budget, I could have tools that would automate this to allow me to respond faster so my employees don't have to work. You have to sew them in intelligently. You just can't make the blanket statements because then it just comes out anything else. It doesn't feel part of that communication. It feels you're just throwing that out there to throw it out there to see if it sticks or anything else. But if you sew it in, you tell a story, you sew it into the fabric of your story that, hey, we could do this better if we had additional sock center so that we can not have to do 12-hour handoffs, we could do eight-hour handoff kind of things. Or you sew it in that, hey, some of the new technology that we can deploy, we can identify a lot of these assets that we're having trouble finding. And I think it's part of the next things. You have to take things. I'm passionate about being communicative, but I'm also passionate about a storyteller. Because I can show you graphs and charts all day long. I show you numbers and they're just going to argue with numbers or charts or anything else because they're not invented and they want to understand them and you go down rabbit holes versus stories of what's actually happening, of what actually happened, how it happened, uh, what the root cause of it is and what the results were. That's a better situation because you go back to the basic foothold of risk that's associated with that. 
And it's really hard to show risk if I'm not doing true visualization of it so that people can determine what's riskier than other things or some of the areas. So you have to have some commonality that you talk about. And risk is a great example. This is on our risk register. And as we discussed a year ago, we said, we're not going to handle this. Well, do we still want to have that or do we have a better discussion on that or is someone going to come up with some money so that we can handle it? And I think that's one of the key areas is that you never want to come across as I just need, I'm the tin cup person. I'm rattling my change around trying to get money. You want to have this, that they can, one, they can trust you. And two, it seems that you have a plan of what you're going to do with this and how it's going to be done. And I think that's one of the things that goes into it that a lot of people have is that if you're not coming across and you haven't convinced them, there's no action item for them at the end of the day. If your ask is for, hey, I need three additional resources and the answer is no, there may be valid reasons for the no, but also there may be valid reasons where you weren't able to convince them that this was a risk or this was a problem or how it was going to be associated or affected the company. So the tenants like a very specific is tell stories about things. Every picture you're going about should be a story. It's there. And it takes a lot less time and a lot less questions and opens up the arguments to what people are having to discuss. And you'll be surprised about things that come from those kind of things. When you enlighten everybody and they get some of the areas, those risk discussions become really quick. And it, it, sometimes it's the, oh, we're doing this on a portion of the fleet that we decided that were risky behavior, such as when we were traveling, uh, hey, the people that are outside of our four walls and outside of all the protection that we built into the organization. <laughs> In the work from home and COVID world, that doesn't exist anymore. But before this, it did. And they're like, oh, I want to focus on people traveling because they're connecting to hotspots and unsecured networks all the time. I want their machines to be able to protect themselves better than some of the other machines. And then when you come back and you show that, hey, this is impacted, it saved hours, it saved people, it saved time. And yeah, we made differences on that. The next question is, well, why don't we do this for everyone? And the quick answer is because there's money involved in this. And yeah, if we had more licenses for this, we could do it. They're like, okay, it's done. End of discussion. And so some of those are very good to say, hey, I can take things and show that I can elevate, show that I'm trusted, show that I can deploy and do things. And then I can go and do larger deployments, larger things that are at scale because you can't just flip a switch anymore and do things. It's a scaling side of it that's there because the second you deploy tools, the second you deploy people, you're going to find more stuff because you're looking. You have more eyes on glass. You have more people. You're going to find it. So the idea that you just sold something to people that it's like, hey, we're going to see a decline in something, you got to be careful what you sell. Because in some cases, it's, no, there's a massive uptick because the tool is much better than our other tool and it's finding more. Therefore, we're discovering more and protect. Understand what you're going to use as metrics and success criteria before you commit to things, because you can be open yourself up for a lot of things. Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of people that are like, yeah, we'll see a tax drop by X. And it's like the Internet's a dangerous place. It doesn't go down ever on that side. And I think that's part of the key to how to grow that and how to look at that holistically across the board from a discussion point to what you want at the end of this. 
So what do I want from them? What's my goal? And those are the things that you've always got to try to align things with. Does that solve my goal? Does it fix what I want to do? Does it match the requirements that I'm trying to do to get to the next stage, to get to the next stage kind of thing? And now I start back over again if I'm successful on that. Humans find vulnerabilities that tools lack. Is this your current penetration testing program? If you feel you're missing the human component to your security program, don't just check the box. Call the NetSpy team of experts to help you not only understand the risk, but get contextual vulnerability management and prioritization. You can't engineer a human out of a pen test. Visit netspy.com forward slash HVM to learn more. That's netspi.com forward slash HVM. Thank you, NetSpy, for sponsoring this episode. I'm sure you triggered some people and you also brought a few tears to some people when you mentioned <laughs> that there's no product or button that you can push and just say that the problem's fixed. Because you're right. If you turn something on, you might realize how bad things are really because that's a flashlight. A flashlight helps you discover and observe what has changed. One thing that I noticed about you is how long you've been chief information security officer at Motorola Mobility. I would imagine that the chief information security officer that you were 12 years ago is a lot different than today. How many times would you say you feel like you've had a new job or a new role being in the same role for over 10 years? It changes about every three to four years on that side of it. We've gone through, Motorola has gone through a lot of changes from divestitures, acquisition by Google, divestiture by Google, acquisition by Lenovo, picked up responsibilities for running portions of Lenovo as well and the cybersecurity stuff. So it's constantly morphing and changing. And about every three years, there's a big kind of area and focus that will change. So it's always changing on that side of it that's there. But at the same time, there's some static components. When I came on to Motorola 15 years ago and established teams that are there, most of my team, except for a very, very small portion of people that retired or left and went to work for Google at the time we were acquired by Google, most folks are still with me today. So they've been here for the journey and the ride at the same time that's there. And I think that's just one of the things that if you keep things refreshing and changing and moving that helps with everything, not from just the executive people, but the people that are on your teams, that are doing the work, that are doing the effort. I focus around, and even prior to this in COVID, is like the most precious resource in your organization is your people that's there. Because I can tell you all the tools in the world and everything else is unless there's people running those tools, they're just tools. So you need people to be able to sit there and do what you need to be able to do. And they're your most precious resource. So how do I keep them from burning out? How do I keep them from not being innovative, changing, looking at stuff? Those whole things, you need to go out there and go, yeah, the computer things. And to your point, on this side of it, think about it. It's, hey, cloud went from no one's going to the cloud to everyone's in the cloud to, oh, crap, there's COVID. And we have to be in the cloud. So you literally had a very compressed schedule that said, okay, we have to worry about data centers to now it's someone else's data center and someone else's servers. I don't have to worry about that. You've literally changed your way that you do this. And security is about the same thing. Before it was, I build a fortress around all my systems to, well, 
ubiquitous access everywhere. You've literally flipped switches from one extreme to the other extreme as part of that. And I think that's good. It gives you experience. It gives you things to go for things. It, it challenges you from an innovation thing. Creating things and greenfield opportunities are great, but you really don't innovate around things until you start putting constraints around it. It's got to be X amount of dollars, or it's got to perform at certain rates. That's when innovation happens. It doesn't happen with Greenfield because everybody just says, oh, make this work. Minimum viable products. Here we go. We're good. Instead of, well, no, I got to make this work and I got to make it work like this. And that's a challenge, but it's a fun challenge. You're using your mind. You're thinking about it. What can I do differently about it? And I think those are the areas you tap on that's there. But that period of time, I can see about Five different periods of time where reporting, executives, pulling up things, changing cultures, different things around that are all different. And it's like an ebb and a flow. You really have to ride the cybersecurity surfboard to the next wave and then it's going to come again and you're going to have to ride that one in. And the same thing is, and it may be almost identical because you're going back and, hey, guess what? All the stuff we did for the cloud, we did for our data center. Yeah, it's the same. Okay. So I already kind of know what I'm trying to do, but I now have to translate that into a cloud side of the equation on that side. When you think about cybersecurity practitioners, you often think about innovation, like you're saying, you think about mental agility, but it's very difficult to innovate when you can't even breathe in some instances. We are largely reactive in a lot of teams. I think there are some teams that are getting to more proactive, and I'm sure there are some even beyond that. But it seems like it's almost like this unicorn that you can never reach, getting to proactive, <laughs> getting to proactive, getting in a space where we can handle the big incidents. We can handle the big changes and adjustments in technology. But it still seems like it's a hard place to get to. What are some of your thoughts and best practices on getting there? I'll give you my proactive term, which is going to bring tears to people's eyes in a lot of cases. Proactive cybersecurity kind of propped up this year RSA black hat scenarios where it's becoming a marketing term. Hey, we do proactive cybersecurity. And from my world, I just looked at proactive and said, yeah, good try, but... Proactive cybersecurity that anybody is stating that they're actually doing is not really proactive cybersecurity. It is prioritization. So if you step back, it's why do I need to prioritize? Because you're getting more alerts than you have people to be able to handle it or technologies to be able to handle it in an automated way. So I have to prioritize what's important because if I was able to handle the alerts at a regular rate, I could be able to say, I don't have to prioritize. We just handle the rates as they come in and we've got enough people that we're able to handle the stuff. It's the old conveyor belt with whatever's coming down. Can I move them off the conveyor belt onto something else, whether it's a game, movie or anything else? Hey, if I got enough people, yeah, that's not a problem. But if I don't, I got to prioritize. Don't drop the expensive stuff or don't let all the account. I really have to prioritize what's priority on that. You should. That's part of the identification aspect of anything. And, hey, I know where things are. I know what state is there. I know what the businesses think of this. I know what my critical assets are. Those are super important. And unfortunately, some people often start try to do something without having to start from on that. So I think prioritization is going to be one of those marketing terms that everybody's going to want to use. And what it really means to a lot of people is just we have too many alerts and we just have to make sure that we don't drop the important ones on the floor. 
So we prioritize in that. So we proactive, we're reaching out and doing things and striking things that are there and the prioritization side of it. I think you can get to the proactive side of it, but I think it requires things such as routine automation, which is get rid of the dirty work that no one wants to do. I got to get rid of what's makes and time consumes you that none of your analysts want to deal with and everything else. And then they can focus on other stuff. But look at things. And I mean this in such a positive way, and people often take it wrong about, hey, you need to be up on technology and learning and be a lifelong learner. I think that's really important. But you also need to look and say, hey, cyber criminals are coming after you. So when somebody releases a breach report on a ransomware group or, hey, here is the TTP and it's true TTP. Here's the tactics they use. Here's the tools that they send. Here is the loaders that they send. Because again, it doesn't start from the infection minus five seconds at ransomware. It's loaders, malware, botnets, all this stuff before it. So if you want to be proactive, instead of focusing in on the worst case scenario that actually happens, focus in on how these things get in. Focus on those areas. If you look at kind of the ideas of common things, things that you hate. Summer's almost over here and we're getting some cold weather in Chicago. So things like mosquitoes. Well, mosquitoes are attracted to water. If there's water or standing water around, there's going to be mosquitoes unless you take proactive measures to empty the water. Now, I want the mosquitoes gone, but I have to actually do something else to make that possible. Because no matter what I do, if I still have standing water around or live near a pond or a lake or a river, they're still going to be there. No matter what I do, I can knock most of them down. It's not going to be that. So I actually have to take steps. And most of the time around proactive security, you're not taking steps of doing stuff. But it's simple stuff. I can't get this enough. On There's so many things that you can do if someone's attacked by malware in your organization that's there. It's not the first time, nor will it be the last time they're attacked. They're on a list, somebody's list. And yeah, they got a phishing mail. You know what? They're not, they get more than one. The same thing. So if these people are already on the attack base, maybe I need to take my equalizer for my security tools and raise the bar a little bit, put them into aggressive scanning or put them into some of the other things that are, may impact the user experience a little more that you normally turn off. But they are a bigger risk because they've been attacked prior to this. The same thing goes for, hey, here are the top 10 botnets that exist in the world. And guess what? They're growing. They're attacking you. You should be able to take that information that you would see in a report by any threat intel vendor or service offer. Take that information, digest it into your organization, figure out how you can make things better and how you would actually stop this from occurring. And I think those proactive security side of it, that's where you're going to make the big wins is just stopping things before it happens or shortening that life. If I had to go find every piece of equipment that was in my network from day one of finding stuff and I had no information on it, that's a hard avenue. I got a U-turn more <laughs> every time. Okay, don't know where this is. Let's go reach out to the other 40 IT folks and ask them, is this their server? If I don't have that information, that's just going to lag in the time. So you just figure out, What's going to shorten the times as much as possible for your team, for your team members, for your virtual people? Because most 
cybersecurity people, I don't have hands and feet. I don't want to sound like, okay, that's some kind of horror story. If I need to do something, I got to work with my IT folks for them to actually go do something or my business folks or my application folks that are there. It's not my security folks that are doing it. They're providing the guidance and they're telling things that are going on. But these owners of the systems and servers and applications, they actually have to make the changes. So how can I get that some of that levels to that? And I think those are that proactive side. It's things that are hard, but there's a benefit from it and it's immediate benefit. So focus on those immediate benefits. Focus on those for your employees. Focus on for your virtual work partners, focus on some of the things for the executives, and that may be a better use and value of time than trying to do other things that are around that. And we see it with hygiene as a perfect example of this. We all know how to keep a computer secure. We've all seen it time and time again, but we all struggle in a global organization with it and have struggled for the last 30 plus years. And I think that's a key element. So if you're going to change it, what would you make it better? And I don't think you can solve everything because there's a lot of moving parts and pieces of that, but I can make a lot of those better for me. And I think that's what you have to focus in on. Love it. You definitely have to focus on what's most important, what's in front of you. You're saying it's not about knowing sometimes about prioritizing, doing what you can, when you can. And, you know, there's got to be someone that is listening and is wondering, Richard has had such a long career in cybersecurity. And I think that there's a lot of clues that you can leave behind as to how you can stay successful over the many, many years that you've been doing it. What would you say are one to a few things that you'd recommend people to consider to extend their cybersecurity career life so they can go just as long as you have? I don't know if anybody wants to go as long as I have. <laughs> I have way too much gray hair on my face right now and in my hair that's there. No, I think it's a good question. And I think it's one of the things of like longevity and everything else. You got to enjoy what you do time and time again. I've been doing this job for years. And when I mean years, yeah, multiple decades on that side of it to the tune of like at least four. And I'm not going beyond that. Okay. You can't make me. But I think that's one of the things that are there that you're like, okay, you've been doing this for a while. You have a lot of experience that's there. And I think that exists in a lot of places. So I think community is really important for things. And I've seen such good successes in community where you have CISOs or executives just get together and people are tossing out problems. And I know how to solve that. I'm working on this or, hey, here's my remote access policy. And here's what we tell users we're going to do to your PCs that are there. I don't have to create one myself. I can ask people and they're willing to share. We live in a community in the security, cybersecurity community of one of the most sharing kind of organizations that exist out there that's there. You can think about this. Think about your big business groups, finance, marketing, sales. Do you think all the salespeople get together from all the other sides of it, from all the, your competitor organizations and share data? Here's how we sell. Here's how we go to market. Here's how we do. No. But in the cybersecurity world, we will talk to our competitors and share what we're seeing at the same time on that side of it that's there. It's a natural progression of, hey, I want to try to make the world a safer place. So, yes, I will tell you what I know because I didn't invent it. I didn't come from anything else. I pulled it, gleaned it, changed it, expanded it, crafted it, and here's the results that I got from my side of it. You're welcome to use them. On that. And I think that community effort is one of the key things is that you have to enjoy what you're doing, reach out and 
be collaborative with people, your team and everything else that's there. Don't be the security guy that people are scared of and run into the office and don't want to, because that's not what you want to be. You want to be the person that's going to innovate and move the business forward, not hinder the business on that side of it. And I think one of the other classics that are there, and I think from like a longevity side of it is look at the tech and look at the things, but also the history is super important. And one of the sex side of it is same thing I struggled with back in 1996. Same problem today. <laughs> Hasn't changed anything. Same problem. Long time frame. Why hasn't this been fixed? Well, because this, this, this. There's a lot of different reasons why it's there, but it's part of those sides of it. And you can take everything from, hey, uh, printers. Those are great examples of technology that it's like trying to get people to print on their network. Great. I can provide printers for my employees. Great. We have guests here and we want them to uh, our contractors and they want to be able to print. Oh, how do I make this printer talk to the other network that I don't allow talk to the rest of the network that's there? Oh, we have cloud printing. So we want to be able to print from here from someplace else. And you're like, oh my gosh. And you just look at this and it's a piece of paper. It's not eco-friendly. Why are we doing this? Save it as a PDF and send it to somebody. You start wondering why some of these technologies are there, but it's certain legacy, certain other things, the way the businesses always did it. But also from the perspective that people always ask, we've always did it this way. Those new things that people see from an outside perspective, in other words, the seeing the forest for the trees, is, hey, don't take it as a negative that you don't have a lot of experience coming into an organization. You are a fresh eyes, face, and mind when you come into that organization that you provide insights that they would never be able to see themselves because you take a different perspective for it. So I don't think it's always a hindrance to say, hey, you have longevity and everything else. Yeah, I have a lot of baggage that I come with when it comes into it that may be helpful, but at the same time, I may be looking at it from a supply chain, large global entity versus small. Hey, everything is different. Every organization's different. That's a unique skill set to come back into it and look at it and say, yeah, I can see this. And I, no one ever told you that you couldn't do it this way. So why not try? And I think that's the biggest thing is that one of the things that I don't like about a lot of the areas in the cybersecurity space is that we are still trying to get to that 100%, that unbreachable function and everything else. And it's never going to get there. And so you just go back and go, I'm never going to be perfect. I know that. So I got to make sure my nets are there, my guardrails are there, things are going to be there and that I can find it before it gets too bad and just live with that on that side of it instead of going, I'm trying to get to that 100% and I'm spending a lot of extra money and having a lot of extra people doing things and I'm never going to get each point percentage point. I'm 99.1, 99.2. Those things are cratering your budgets because you're really having to progress all the way up and the users hate you because you're like, I have to log in to 16 different windows, portals, MFA, this and tokens and all these other things, but you're secure. And you know, I think, yeah, but you made my laptop. I don't want to use on that side of it that's there. And I think that's the worst case that you can get into is that trying to do things that's there, you have to balance. You always have to balance those things. And understanding that I think is probably the biggest issue that you can give into is longevity is balancing the business needs with the security controls that you're going to use balanced with their, where their goals actually are aligned. 
Because if my goals aren't aligned to my business, I won't be in the business very long. <laughs> I can tell you that. But if my are tied to, hey, we want to enter these markets, we want to do this, we want to move these data centers to this, we want to shut down a factory in this location, stand one up in another location. All of that is massive works around security and stuff. And you deal with that. And hey, there are great opportunities that are parts of that. But you're going to always deal with that flux. And it's one of the things that you always hear is people are like, I'm tired of playing whack-a-mole. I don't want to play whack-a-mole. I don't want to. I don't want chaos. I want like normal thing. You are, to equate it, you are the equivalent of a fireman. And there are fires and your job is to run into the building, save the pets, kids, people, and try to save the building at the same time. That requires you to run into the building and do things. And you do. And that's it. You're just going to have to do that. Now, how often that has, does it look like a complete cluster or is it a well-orchestrated machine that you can tap and poof, it's all said and done and I'm done with that. And I think those are the areas that are there is to focus on getting things that are simple, have plans, have things that are there. You have all the time in the world to plan for things. So just use that. Think with your imagination. How would the hackers break in here? What would they try to do? What would they try to steal? How would they do that? You know where your armor has weak spots. So figure out how to patch those weak spots and focus on reinforcing that. And I think those are the key things that you really want to look at it from longevity is just think about things. Think it from the outside in, inside out, third party out. All those things are now affecting people that they're like, okay, what happens if I have a third party that's compromised? Do you cut off their access? Do you eliminate all their accounts? Do you break their accounts? Do you change their password on? What's your plan? You need one. If you don't have one, you're going to have to make it on the fly. And that's when mistakes actually happen. I love it. Index on what you do well or enjoy. Be a part of the community. Be realistic with a healthy dose of optimism. Put the business first and fix the weaknesses. I think that is the perfect recipe for a long and storied cybersecurity career. Richard, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for hopping on the podcast. We're going to drop your information down into the show notes where everyone is listening to this. And with that, we will see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. 